Hey everyone, this is Pastor Stephen. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. But that being said, if you've been here for the last little bit, you, you, you kind of know that we've been in our uh, study on the book of James. Um, and the Lord laid this on my heart because the book of James is a book that's very, very relevant to where we're at in our society. Because the book of James is a practical and faithful reminder of how we are to live our life as a faithful Christian follower of Jesus. Something that sometimes we forget sometimes. There's a, a, a human thing that happens when we start doing something and then we start trying to get comfortable within it and we get complacent in different things. And, and that's part of the reason why we encourage you to read your Bible and, and go through that every year. Try to study the Word to allow God's Word to feed in your life. But better yet, it's good to go through these studies where we can understand what God's Word says and is required of us. Because the Christian life is not an easy one. If you ever ask anybody that's been faithful to God for any short of time, you know there's ups and downs and hiccups and turns, that sharp, sharp turns left and right. You never know what's going to happen. I always say it's like a roller coaster. It's just not a very fun one because I like roller coasters. It's like I took Lydia on one this last summer and she's like, this is the funnest thing in the world. And I'm like, you don't realize I'm getting old and it hurts a little bit more. But yeah, it was fun. But it's not an easy one in um, and, and our lives. And truly, the Christian walk is really throughout all of history shows that. Because the struggle of the world rejecting Christ means that as a Christian, we're an opposite of their thought processes and we're on the opposite end of their retaliations. And better yet, the struggle of this, this uh, flesh that we kind of constantly battle through because this flesh of ours has got this sinful nature that we're trying to kill every single day and we're trying to become more like Christ every single day, but the flesh doesn't allow us to always do that some days. Especially if you live in a place where people honk and flip, uh, flip you off and all the other stuff that goes on, especially in our society. Apparently you guys don't drive around Boardman all that often. But also, this Christian life is not easy because the struggles that come with the testing and the growing of our faith are not always easy. And I want to encourage you as you guys walk through this life, as you pursue after Christ, to not grow weak and not grow weary, but to keep pressing forward towards the prize of Christ and all that you do and all that you are. But there's another struggle in this Christian faith, and a lot of the times it's the mission of the church. You see, the church is what we're here for this morning. We're here on Sunday because of why? Because we were here to sing the songs. We were here to, to come and hug people's necks a little bit that we like. And, and, and we're supposed to come in here and listen to this tall, bald guy wearing an Ohio State jersey this Sunday preach a message. Just to get back on track, how'd you like that football game last night? It was a nail-biter. I told most people, I said, did you watch the game? See, this is what we're going to talk about this morning, football now. 
But did you watch the game? It was three seconds left. Ohio State was down four points. And then all of a sudden, we thought it was going to be a pass, but they ran it in, and he barely got it past that white end zone line, and they got a touchdown, and I watched the whole crowd just go whoosh. And then they won. But then I had to go, oh, no, there's the anxiousness. They have to do a, a, a replay review of what was going on. And I'm like, they got the touchdown. Do not revoke the touchdown, people. But then they said, oh, no, it's not about the touchdown. We already know they got the touchdown. I was like, oh, yeah, they got the touchdown. They said, we got to make sure there's one second left on the clock. But I think it's kind of poetic on how this message is kind of written. Because the church's mission is one that's supposed to be getting to the point of what Christ has set forth. But it always seems like when we get to the one second left on the clock, we get distracted. Once we get to that one point, and all of a sudden it just seems like, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. We get excited because we think we've arrived, but that's when the enemy wants to try to cause some distractions and some thought processes in to get us away from the pursuit of what our ultimate goal is to be here as the body of Christ. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 reminds us and when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that you have been commanded of. And behold, I will be with you always until the end of the age. You see, the church's mission has always been one where we pursue after God with everything we have. But it's not just the pursuit of our personal nature. It's about the pursuit of trying to develop those around us. To see the thing that we treasure and value the most. To teach them one of the ways of what God is wanting us to do. To show them the mighty hands and feet of what God wants to restore. And to remove the shackles of this world. So that way they could praise God even greater. See, the purpose of the church is to be a place where people can hear the message of the hope that is through only Jesus Christ. It's a place where, where Jesus taught us to do and, and, and to live our lives, where we're trying to lean in on Christ in all that we do and truly live according to the way he set forth. A place where we can be empowered to bearing one another's burdens and seeking the Holy Spirit to help us along the way. The mission of this church is to be a hot glue church. Why? Because that's what God kind of gave me. You guys voted me to be the pastors, and so things are going to come and go weird all over the place. But what is a hot glue church mission? It's to be humble and open and transparent with realizing that, one, we are all afflicted with issues. And we all need a Savior. And it's open enough to, to know that if we need a Savior, we need to start pursuing after Him. And being transparent in that pursuit. And watching as we stumble that we can help each other back up. But it's not just enough to stay there. 
Because we have to be growing closer and closer to God together as we love one another, as we love Him. All while seeking to be staying united along this journey. I love this church because it's like a family. Everybody that comes through the door, what is with this church? They're all hugging necks and they all know each other. They all know each other's issues. I said, yeah, it's family. It's like in my house, all of the kids, you know when somebody's upset with somebody. We all know it because it's ever-present. But the church is meant to be like that. But we stay united as we pursue after to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And our, we are seeking to equip each other for the pursuit of the great commission to spread the gospel to our friends, to our family, and to our community. But one thing is for sure. The church today is so much like the church in James's time. Some 2,000 years ago when James was writing these letters, you would think that it wouldn't repeat like it does. But his words matter right here, right now, because we are on the one second of the final ending of the, of the game, where God is getting ready to come, and we're going to hear the trumpet, and we're going to be raptured up into heaven, but we're in the one second point of the game, knowing that it's not done, so we still need to stay on mission. And that's a struggle each and every one of us. Because even though we are right there, we are always getting distracted with the things of this world. Something that's not new. Something that is constantly repeated throughout all of history. And we have to have the understanding that our good intentions and our good desires to do the work will always seem to go up against this distraction but it's always God's mentality and desire for the church is to get reminded about becoming right with him. I think that's why the word says to kill your flesh each day and to pursue after him each day is to make yourself become reminded of the good works that you're supposed to work for. But for some reason, there's a distraction that always seems like it flares up every single time in every single church. This one and every other church around us. Because we have systems in place to do the work. We have mentalities in place to do the work. We have people that'll do the jobs. And sometimes you have people in place that don't want to do the jobs, so they sit in the back and they don't ever want to do anything that God has called them to do. It's the distractions that will always kick up. It was in the early church where, where, where Jesus would always teach the disciples, hey, if you see somebody hungry, go help them out. And truly, when Jesus would go and help the weak, help the hungry, help the sick, the lame, and all that, what it did was it produced a movement of hope that spread from 12 followers to thousands, to 10,000s, to millions and it keeps getting larger. 
still, even with a success, something happens where we lose sight on this purpose. That might look like boredom. That might look like giving up because you get flustered when you don't get what you want. That might look like you apply a formula and it just magically works and you think you're getting the same results. It's like when you wash laundry. You know the procedures, right? You lift the lid up, you throw the laundry in, you put the detergent in, you push the buttons, and you hit start. And every time that laundry is supposed to come out sparkling clean, right? That's what people think the church should be and be acting like. But I've learned there are some stains that don't want to come out with the standard procedures. I've learned sometimes it takes some lighter fluid to get some oil off your pants. I learned that from my grandma. I've learned sometimes it takes other chemicals like OxyClean to get the red grape juice out of my white t-shirts. I've learned it takes more than what I imagined it to do. And that's what we have to get back to, where we pursue after the very original idea of what Christ wants of the church. And that's why when James is writing the letters to the church and he's trying to reinforce the the truth and remind them of the desires and the hunger that we're supposed to have to honor God needs to be put back on track and to be put back into faith. That's why in James chapter 2, he starts off where he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in the good place, you will, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not been made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into the court, are they not the ones who blaspheme and the honorable name by which you were called? If you, are really, uh, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you have committed sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. That right there is a sticking point. If you think you're righteous enough and you've held it all together, but you have one issue, you're still at fault. For he said, do not commit adultery, and and also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy is one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over the judgment. Those words are powerful words to the church and a reminder of our intentions that we put forth. 
those words are, are powerful words because it has the ability, if we would allow it to be the self-reflecting quality in our own lives, to show the blemishes in our own lives, to show the, the one thing that we might be holding on to that would make us transgressors of the law, to be guilty of this thing called sin even more in our lives. It would show us the struggles that we all have, that we all encounter. I look out and I know that you guys are all just like me. A hot mess trying to get right with Jesus every single day. Can we just be honest with each other? We're a hot mess trying to be right with Christ every single day. And it's by His grace and His Holy Spirit that gives us any power and ability to overcome it. But with the thing that we have to overcome is the fact that the influence of this world will lead us and, and, and to have a realignment of our focus of an outward impression. But pastor, what does that mean? It's a lot of big words that basically say if you see somebody that looks right and they're, they're, they're good on it and you think they're right, you might be wrong. Can I just say, I've met some people in the church, they got their three-piece suit on. They know the right words to say, but they're deader than a doorknob in their soul. And there's some guys that come in here with shorts and t-shirt and sandals, and they, they act more like Jesus than you'd ever have, and they got the anointing on them, and they can transform your life if you would just listen to the words that God is speaking through them. You see, what I'm trying to get at is the world wants us to think about the outward. And God's trying to make us become more aware that it's not about the outward. It never was about the outward. The outward was the, the circumcision that the, the, the Hebrews had to have to do that. And that's why when they just started arguing and debating about the circumcision, and Paul says, you know what, it's not about the outward, but it's about the circumcised of the heart. But the struggle that we will always go into is the normality of humanity and the world around us that wants to say, judge a book by the cover. I'm sorry. If we show anything that goes in line with that mentality, then we are losing those around us every single day. It's like when I drive around this whole community and I look at all the depravity and all the sadness and all the, the, the disparagingness of this society that we live in. I don't look down upon them. But I want to go lift them up out of that darkness so they can be put into the hand of the potter who can take that miry muck of clay that they have and show them how he can rearrange their life if they would allow him to. It's the struggle that we all have, but yet we get comfortable within the church. We get so comfortable in the church because the place that's supposed to be the hospital room sometimes starts looking more like the corporate offices. The place where the people are supposed to feel welcome and know that the doctors are there and wanting to help them in the issues but they encounter the CEOs that look at you and go, why are you here? I can't do anything for you. Just go out the door and go find someplace else to go to. And what God is trying to tell the church is, if that's your heart, it's time to realign the truth in your life. 
It's time to go back and revisit Christ once again. It's time to go back and say, Holy Spirit, what is this wretched mess within me that needs to be fixed? Because the struggle that we will always encounter is that division that comes through. It's like the fact that we have an affliction in this church today. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Somehow we adopted a family some time ago, and they, they worshipped this great giant mighty M in this place. I love you, Jim. I love you, Amy. But I can't hold on to your affliction any longer. You see, they come from the land up north. And we live in the land of the Yo. And can I just say, if I would have been a church like the one that would all look like a CEO, they would never be in here. They would never be welcomed here because, you know, Ohio State fans are crazy, right? We don't want the, uh, the, the great state up north people to come down here and try to interfere with our way of worshiping a nut football team. But yet it shows the truth about what we're supposed to go through when we see us together. I love Jim and Amy. They're powerful, mighty men and women of God. Men, man and woman. You're not plural, sorry. Words matter, right? <laughs> they're mighty, mighty people of faith, and I'm thankful that they're part of our team, even if they are afflicted with that blue nastiness on them. Even though I'm trying to get their sons to start wearing some nice scarlet and gray. <laughs> but it's like this all of our life. Can I tell you, I went to a football game down in Cincinnati, the home of the Bengals, and I watched them go up against the great, state, or great city of Cleveland, against the Brownies, and, and all of a sudden I saw the dis disconnection in our society where, where the Browns fans were like the ones that everybody wanted to go and beat up the whole time. But yet, our society has the idea that divisions are good. It's like the world right now where they say, well, if you don't agree with my opinion, then you're completely against me and I can't be around you. I'm going to judge you because you don't like what I do. I didn't say I didn't like what you do. I just think that it's a sin. But what I want to tell you is that I love you no matter what, right? No, they want to reject that idea because of their mentalities. They've lost all the bit of any idea of what God has written on their heart and the truth. And it's time that the church starts putting that back out into the world as we realign our hearts with what God is trying to get us to be aware of. Because what we have to understand is that God is not wanting us to look on the outward signs, but start looking on the inward signs. Quit looking at the outward ideas of what is their, their identity. And start looking on the inside and know that they were made in the image of Christ. They were made in the image of God in the beginning when he said, let us make man in our image and he made them male and female and he set them forth on the world. They all have the image bearer. But they need to get back into the potter's hand so that he can remove all the corruption that the enemy wants to put into them. They think that the, uh, the, the corruption, the rebel, and all the different debris is what identifies them. But it's never been that. 
And the church is getting into a place where it's a fickle idea where we have to go either one way or the other, way over accepting and say, just come as you are, and God loves you, and keep doing your sin. Or we have to go in the other avenue where we say, you can't come near me because you are a, you're just going to cause me to get whatever disease you got, and I can't be around it. But can I tell you, Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 2, Jesus, or God says he is no... Part, or he, he shows no partiality of anyone in this world. He shows no partiality within any of the humanity in this world. Because what did he say in the book of John chapter 3? He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but not just to save them, but to fix the issues in them because of the sin depravity that's along and in line in their lives. You see, the church can't show partiality and say, I don't want your sin in the church. And we can't go into the other part of the avenue where we start saying, I want your sin, come as you are, and keep walking in it. No, we need to go back on the narrow road where God is saying it's not about partiality any longer, but it's allowing God to be the judge and the way maker and the spiritual guidance marker along every single one of our lives. That's the struggle that we get into, and that's what James is highlighting. You can look on the outward and think it's right. You can look at an idea and think that that's right. But you don't realize you're walking on a fine, narrow road that's got no guardrails on there if you're not careful. Because we are to show no partiality at all in our desire to see the lost saved. That's why James tells us that our desire should not be to honor a person merely by what they can do for their notoriety, not what they can do to make us feel better, not what they can do to do anything else in our lives. But we need to understand that we are all sinners and we all need Jesus. We are all this work in progress. And we don't know what people go through. You see... uh, Getting to be in the top seat of the church here, I learn about everybody. And it breaks my heart about their stories. We got some people in here that have dealt with so much generational curses, and they're coming in here, and they're trying to get right with God, and they're trying to pursue after Him, but what they keep getting bitten back into is the idea that if they walk in here, they have to be perfect. But we have to realize, church, we are all the work in progress, and if we're not perfect, but we're walking towards that perfection, then we will see God's mighty hand move on this place. I think sometimes we let that whole idea of what we want and how we think that it should work get in the way and get into the process that divides us and causes His Spirit not to be able to operate. We need to get into a place where we look and understand that we don't understand what's on the cover. There's a lot more depths in the chapter that are along their story, and we just need to sit back, take their hand, and say, I don't know what's going on, but I know what Jesus has done for me. Let me show you what he can do for you. Because then we would realize that we all have these abilities and talents that are gifts from God. 
that are waiting to be overlooked or unlocked and not overlooked. Let me tell you, I can remember the time when I was going into the ministry, I felt the call in the ministry, and people looked at me and said, oh, you can't do it. Oh, no, you still smoke cigarettes. I don't know why God was telling me I was going to be a preacher, even though I was still smoking cigarettes. I don't know why God was calling me to be in ministry, even though I was still in the bottle. But all I know is it transformed my life because God, I, I looked at him and I said, God, if whatever you're doing with me, if you want me to do that, remove the wretchedness on me. And I watched him remove one addiction after another addiction after another addiction to allow me to be able to walk in the standard that he has called me into. That's the pursuit that we have to chase after every single day. Because if I would have listened to the voices of the time that said, oh, no, you can't do it because you don't qualify for that. Where would I be right now? You wouldn't have this pastor up here in the pulpit right now. I'd probably be in a bar somewhere right now just moaning away my troubles. But it's because of God's grace that I have a voice. It's because of God's grace that I have hands that will do whatever he asks me to. It's because of God's grace that I've walked people through their journey and through their faith so that they have become worship pastors where they've, they've gone through and they sing to God every single day. They do drama teams. They do Bible studies. They do all these wonderful things because I'm not looking on the outward any longer. But I wanted to be like Jesus and look on the inward. You see, church, what I have to get to and we have to really root ourselves into is the truth of what Proverbs 24 says when it says, These also are the sayings of the wise. Partiality is, in judging is not good. Whoever says to be wicked, you are right, will be cursed by the people, adorned by the nations. But those who rebuke wicked and ha will have the delight and the God blessing that will come through it. But here's the problem we have. You're not called to be the judges. Oh, I'm not trying to go to that milk stuff, Brother Dorman, I promise you. The world wants to tell us you're not supposed to judge because that's what the Bible says. No. It's not all it says. It does say that worse, but you have to understand the context of which it was written and how it was portrayed and all of the depth and the richness of what the scripture says. It says, judge not. Because how you judge is how you will be judged yourself. Those are some dangerous words for the church. Judge not, because otherwise you'll be judged that way. That's why me and Melissa, we will always say, the church is never meant to look like a country club. I've been to those churches. I ran from those churches. The church was never meant to look like Walmart either. Just having it in your way, getting what you want at the lowest price discount, and going that route. Church was always meant to look like an emergency room. Where it might cost you everything in your life. But when you walk away, it's already paid for because you've already been restored. See, that's where we have to hold on to. See, that's where James is trying to remind the church that, that we have to be careful with what we're looking for and looking through and looking around us. Because the truth is, 
If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall pursue after it and do everything you can in your power to love God with everything in your heart and allow that to be the vessel and the beacon that will transform your life and allow people to take notice as you start loving people that you thought you had to hate all of your life. It's not easy. I know there are people in this world I completely despise, but I still talk to not in a condescending way either. I still treat them with the respect and honor that they were due because of whose image is on them. But I still walk after their lives knowing that there is something that's waiting to be untapped and unlocked in their lives if they would just surrender their lives to God. Because, well, yes, God loves every single person in this world. As much as God wants to do everything he can for you, it all goes back to the choice of whom you want to serve. There's only two choices. You can serve yourself and your ideas of what is right. You can serve yourself and what you think should happen and how it should go accordingly. Or you can serve God. It's like when Lydia looked at me last night as I was driving home from Sister Amy's house yesterday. She looked at me and says, Dad, I have to ask you a question. I said, what's wrong, sweetheart? She says, why did we have to go to Georgia? I said, Lydia, why? I don't know. I just remember you and Mom were sitting at the breakfast table at the restaurant we were at, and you just said we have to go to Georgia. And I can just think that we went down to Georgia, and we know that you had to pray, but we don't understand why that happened. And let alone, why couldn't we just stay in a hotel and have to not drive home and get home at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning the next day? And I said, Lydia, I don't know the answer. I wish I understood why God told me and my wife just to get up one morning, go to Prish's Big Boy to have breakfast, and then told us to get in the car and go pray in Georgia. I wish I had the answers, but I don't, sweetheart. And she says, but Dad, why couldn't we just stay there? I said, here's what I want you to understand, sweetie. God said, go, pray. We went, we prayed. I prayed, God says, go home. So I drove home. And she says, but dad, why couldn't we just stay in the hotel? I don't know. You're trying to judge the situation because of your comfort. You want to show partiality because you didn't like sitting in the car watching Liberty's kids for, for Lord knows how many hours we were in the car that day. Feels like a billion hours by now. But what I've learned is is if I show the partiality of what you're asking, I'm taking off the full faith of what God is asking me to do. I don't know why we went to Georgia, sweetheart. But what I do know is if God says, I go. See, that's what we have to get back to. Church, we have to get back to the root where when God says do, we say yes, sir. When God says love, you say yes, sir. When God says, handhold this person, you say, yes, sir. When God says, don't judge them for what they got going on, yes, sir. 
That's where the Christian faith has to get realigned and reconnected because the world will always want you to go left or go right. But never down the narrow road. If you'll stand with me this morning. It's never down the narrow road. Because the truth is that we have to understand that our desires, all of them, are what we, would, we, we struggle with. Some of our desires and some of our clothing and some of everything that we choose in this life seem relevant at the time. But they're not. See, Jesus came on the world in a fashion to live and to teach us how to love. I always tell people, if you're going through a difficult situation with somebody, look at what Jesus did. I wish we'd bring back those bracelets. What would Jesus do? The WWJD. But then there was another one that says, he would love first. I wish we'd get back to that teaching where we'd understand that if we can want to replicate what God is doing in our lives, we would look like him and pursue after him and love like he does. Better yet, we would realize that Jesus is the only good judge that we could ever have. And yet, even being the only good judge, he chose to love the sinners. He chose to fix the broken. He chose to help the widows and the less fortunate. Why then is it in our nature to want to reject that? See, Jesus came to love those and seek after and to bless and redeem those that were less fortunate. Yet we seek to honor those that already have it. What the church needs to do is get our focus realigned back with the ideals that Jesus sought to taught. Because that is why we come to church every single Sunday. Because when we stay at home, we lose heart. It's why we come together to become unified together, to pursue after his way and not ours. That's what our prayer should be about every single day. Lord, realign me. Let me get back into a place where I'm with believers that will help keep me accountable to that realignment. Get me back into a place where I can trust God a little longer with being with people that will help lift me up. Let me get back into a place where when people walk through the doors that they're broken, I can help lift them up too and be the hands and feet and the mission of the church. But it all comes back to the decisions we choose to make. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to chase after? So if we could just pray this morning. Father God, Lord, I know this message is what you wanted, Lord, because I've been stewing on it and stumbling through it all week long, and it didn't come into fruition until the final second last night. But God, I ask you to just touch each and every person in this building, each and every person that's watching online or listening to the podcast, whenever they hear this message, Lord, if it tickles their spirit, Lord, and starts stirring something up within them, Lord, I ask that you encourage them to make this choice right here, right now. I will serve you, God. I will follow your example, God. I will follow your statutes and your ways. I will not look to the people and judge them in my own standards, but I will seek to lift them up to the good judge to allow them to become restored yet again. God, right now, we just need you in this place. 
We need you in our lives to keep reminding us of this, Lord. We need you to keep reminding us to get to the house of the Lord where we can serve you. Get to the house of the Lord where we can have hope every single day. Lord, to get us in the house of the Lord where we can feel your presence. Lord, we know your presence is with us, but Lord, it's something different when, when there's two or three are gathered in your midst, Lord. There's something different when we get into the house and we can lift each other up, God, because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. God, it's something different. Lord, today we, though, we ask that you be with us. Strengthen us. Guide us. Let us love you with everything that we have, with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength, and all of our mind's ability, Lord. And then let that flow over into loving our neighbor, loving our friends, loving our coworkers, loving our community, Lord so that it can be a beacon and a light to someone in this world. Lord, we ask you to just be with us, Lord. Touch us all, Lord, as we get ready to leave. Touch the sick this morning, Lord. Those that are at home because they have this nasty virus going around, Lord. Touch those that are traveling this morning, Lord. Touch those that are not here because of other issues, God. You know what they are. Be with them all, Lord, and just guide us all. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in this church. Lord, we give it all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise to you, Jesus. And the church said, Yep, Timmy, how we can get ready to go, buddy. But go and love your neighbor. Go and love the God. And go and be the church with a dedicated mind, Lord, to serve him in all that you do. I love you all. See you next week.